0: The nineteen twenty one year of crisis. In nineteen twenty one, there were many problems within Russian society. The war had finished, um, and in terms of economic policy, war communism had been uh, had instilled grain requisitioning, this idea of labor armies, and the militarization of the workplace. There was widespread famine, there were peasant uprisings, uh, mainly about the seizing of grain under war communism, and worker revolts. And so, one of these major revolts was the Kronstadt Revolt. The Kronstadt sailors were kind of the pinnacle of the supporters of the 1917 revolutions. They were known as the reddest of the red by Lenin. They were idealistic in nature, um, and... But Lenin also described this Kronstadt revolt as the flash which lit up reality. In other words, it showed that their methods of attaining power and maintaining power and bringing in their ideas, they were kind of blind to the effects these had on the reddest of the red. And the the Kronstadt soldiers opposed war communism. They, they opposed the kind of rations and the army being reorganised into these labour armies. And so some sailors were sent to investigate Petrograd, and they were absolutely dismayed at the suppression of workers that they'd seen. This was completely antithetical to what they'd envisioned with uh, what they envisioned the October Revolution would be. And they so they it, like in essence they disagreed with the lack of political rights, the centralization of the government, and especially the violence of the Cheka. They wanted a return to the original kind of grassroots revolutionary goals. This, this was really a moral and military crisis for the communists. So in terms of the actual revolt, they held a rally in the in Anchor Square, which was on um, the island, of Kronstadt's uh, base, in 1921. And they demanded freedom of speech for workers, peasants, anarchists and the left, uh, liberate socialist political prisoners, abolish court and detachments, which were... Um, the Cheka army unit detachments, and in response to this, Lenin believed the hard line was needed. They needed to show this sense of strength. So on the seventh of March, Trotsky sent fifty thousand Red Army soldiers uh, to assault the island. And what helped them was that the that the um water was frozen over, so they were effectively able to do a full frontal uh, on foot assault. Um, ten thousand. Sorry, 16,000 soldiers held uh, the island for a week. So they put up a pretty good fight. But in the end, 10,000 Red Army were dead, 5,000 soldiers, uh, sailors were dead. And afterwards, there were 2,339 executions by the Chequer in response to the revolt. And many historians view this as the breaking of true ties with workers. Uh, one such a historian is Sheila Fitzpatrick. So at this point, they really started disregarding the needs of the workers. You know, the Kronstadt were standing up for what what was right in what was the correct socialist view of workers' rights, of the freedom of the workers, the dictatorship of the proletariat, and this was abandoned by Lenin and the Bolsheviks. But it also. As I said, it was the flash which led reality. It showed them that they couldn't just continue like this. They had to do something. So it also led to the NEP, New Economic Policy, replacing war communism. In 1921, there was also the Tenth Party Congress. that went from. It was in March 1921. And it happened during the Constant Revolt. And it led to the introduction of the NEP and the decree on party unity, which I'll get to soon. But there uh, to kind of preempt the on party unity decree, there was a lot of political opposition within the communist party. Uh, a notable organisation was Workers' Opposition, which was headed by Kolontai and Slayatnikov. Um, they called for greater involvement by the proletariat in running of the factories. So originally, the Bolsheviks they saw that they couldn't just switch over to full kind of. Um, communist control of factories where workers owned the means of production. They saw they, they had to keep the kind of bourgeois specialists, is what they called them, in place to be able to teach the workers and to eventually be able to run the factories themselves. However workers' opposition were against this, they believed they needed to transfer the factories to the workers. They also argued against the militarisation of the workplace, which had happened during the civil war, this kind of hardening of the workplace. Um, this kind of violence and aggressiveness. And they felt that the pro-proletariat had been forgotten, much in line with the Kronstadt sailors. They felt the NEP was really a surrender to the peasants, um, kind of a compromisation of ideology in order to maintain power. And they were critical of the kind of bureaucratic structures of the party, Politburo, Org Bureau, um, Secretariat, kind of combining with the CEC and other committees and the kind of unclear lines of how it was the bureaucracy was obfuscated. There were also the democratic centralists um, which were kind of the highest Bolshevik intellectuals and they criticised the lack of discussion within the party. They felt the Politburo was way too dominant within the bureaucratic structures. Another important group was the anarcho-syndicalists who wanted greater trade union involvement. So the idea of anarcho-syndicalism is the idea of creating syndicates, essentially trade unions to be able to uh, represent workers and essentially control society that way. And so they were these, all these groups, according to Sheila Fitzpatrick, were challenging Lenin's personal leadership. And so in response, there was the decree on party unity and it banned factions within the party. They denounced this as not communist. Um... And so, in an individuals were able to voice concerns, but you couldn't form a faction and go to the leader and voice your concern. And so, this is really the abandoning of debate within the party and the kind of more personalization, perhaps not perhaps the personalization in the traditional sense, maybe which would be observed under Stalin, where it's one person, but definitely personalization of the kind of Bolshevik elite, the Trots- uh Trotsky, Lenin were the two big ones, but all the leaders, um, it was a kind of monopolisation of thought by them. There was also on the anarcho-syndicalist deviation, which said that the demands of the anarcho-syndicalists were inconsistent with membership of the party, and so they made it illegal to advocate for anarcho-syndicalism. The reason they did this was they needed to present a unified party in the year of crisis. This was a significant crisis for the communists, they're now called the communists, and they couldn't afford to show this sense of weakness. And um, these, these decrees led to a purge of one third of the party in 1922. So ultimately dissent was silenced and debate was discouraged. There was also other political opposition, namely by the Mensheviks and the uh, SRs. They supported strikes in Petrograd and Moscow in uh, February of nineteen twenty one, and so they were declared counter uh, revolutionary. Um, and two thousand Mensheviks were arrested. And in June nineteen twenty two, it was made a crime to be anything other than a communist. And the kind of the beginning of show trials happened in June to August nineteen twenty two. Um, and there were show trials of SRs, to make an example out of people who were anything but communist. Another, perhaps slightly uh, less impactful but still very important uh, rebellion was the Green Peasant Rebellions. And the end of grain requisition made peasant rebellions less common. Um, Rebel provinces were flooded with Red Army and the Cheka, and um, according to, so, yeah, essentially, poison gas was used against uh, the population, and whole villages was thrown with execution. So green peasant rebellions were really not tolerated at all during this period and harshly repressed. There was also a further evolution of the Cheka. In February 1922, the Cheka replaced, was replaced by the GPU, the State Political Administration. And so it was a transition from arbitrary violence to revolutionary legality. They, they, were, they were no longer kind of the de facto secret police. They were now uh, legitimised. Uh, they were already kind of legalised, but they weren't very legitimate and they were now becoming a more legitimate organisation. They also no longer dealt with ordinary crimes, so they were coming although they were becoming more comprehensive in nature, they were they were more specialized to the role of a secret police force. And Dazinski remained head. Um and there was a decline in extreme terror and executions during this period. In July 1923, the GPU became fully independent and became the OGPU. Surveillance was increased on businesses and foreigners, so it was becoming um, an organisation which not only didn't tolerate political opposition but was beco- um, not tolerating any opposition within society and increasing coercive measures against um, other citizens, not not just political activists. And there were also, along this, spies embedded within businesses. There are, people compare the this evolution of the Cheka into, uh, to the Akrana under the Sars. Um, it kind of continued the fascist tradition of terror, the, although overall the Cheka was more ruthless, 140,000 executions. Um, but the OGPU more resembled the Okhrana. It, it wasn't so violent uh, at this point. And so that ends the tw- 1921 year of crisis.